I have not had any contacts with him yet. We'll see what happens here in the next few days. I've learned a lot. And again, I'm not going to rehash uh, the event again. I think um, I feel very good about uh, the things I have learned. I also feel really good about what I stand for, as I said yesterday. And uh, I'll be happy to talk about football, but I'll just leave it at that. Last second field goal there, whether it's in Arizona or tonight. Do you, do you look, do you not look? What's, what's sort of your emotions on a play like that? I usually don't look. And I'm usually saying if they're kicking, miss this blankety blank. And if we're, if we're kicking it, it's make this blankety blank. <laughs> Just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. That was Mike Zimmer, by the way. I was going to say. I've been sitting on that sound for since since Monday. I'm wanting to play it, so I'm I'm playing it. I don't know. I'm doing my own show with the sounds today. All right. No idea who that was. Like what? Mike Zimmer. That's coaching for you. Whenever there's a kicker lining up for a game-winning field goal, you just call him a blankety blank. No matter if it's your kicker or the other team's kicker. The best. The best part of that is I don't. There are a lot of blank blanks in that Packers the, game. The man has had multiple eye surgeries, and he's like, oh, better cover my yeah. eyes. By the way, why do people not watch on game-winning field goals? Joe Scott, the Air Force basketball coach, uh, I don't know if he still doesn't, doesn't watch free throws. Like, intentionally can't, no, can't intention- watch them? No, intentionally. I, I didn't like, watch I can understand, last year. like, hey, when we're shooting free throws, I'm going to go coach some guys up and not pay attention. Since I, since when he Joe Scott was in the league before, he would kneel down and whichever way they're shooting free throws, he would stare the other way. And someone would have to tell him. Well, he'd know by the crowd reaction most times. But if not, someone would have to tell him good or bad. Yeah. I don't get it. Uh, I don't get it. Look, man. You're looking at a dude who looks at dots on the TV and, like, walks <laughs> away. And, and his wife laughs at him and says, "This is is this going to be one of those nights? So I am not going to criticize either Mike Zimmer not watching or Joe Scott on a knee looking the other way. I can I can get some superstition and understand it, but I can't get the I, – I'm not – I can't watch. Like, it's your team. You're the coach of the team. Do you have any superstitions? No, no. not really. Oh, I thought you said in the past you'd wear shirts. I mean, I wear a sh- Astros shirt on the day when they of the game. Play a playoff game, right. like any, if any of my favorite teams play, I'll wear it. Not because I think they're going to win, just because. Okay, I'm Sports wearing a shirt because they're playing team. that day. It's not like, it's not like I. This isn't the shirt that I wore for game one because oh, the Astros won when I wore okay. this. No, I just, I just wear. Yeah, a shirt. I mean, yeah. I don't do that kind of stuff, but I'm not weird. <laughs> you don't wear shirts on the day <laughs> the Dodgers play. <laughs> No, I have other things that make me weird. No, the hardest part for me has been when the Astros and Team USA play on the same day. I got to choose. Ooh. Wait, I thought you had like 10 TVs. No, no, I got to choose what shirt to wear. Do I oh, wear a Team shirt USA wear? shirt oh. or do I wear an Astros uh, shirt? I've gone Astros both times. Have you? I have. Because, I would have guessed the other way. Well, because my thought process is the U.S. can lose some of these games and still qualify for the World Cup. The Astros lose a playoff game. They could be out. A good chance yeah. they're going home, so... It's been it's been most hopefully the Astros win today and I don't have to deal with that tomorrow because the team USA they're back tomorrow against oh, Costa it's back Rica. To back. Yeah, and the Astros are back to back. Yeah, well because they got rained out right. yesterday. Brutal, stupid <laughs> rain. Put a roof on your stadium for once. Unbelievable. Does Houston have an MLS team? Maybe we could get you the jersey. Of- Dallas yeah, does. I don't care about yeah. the MLS team. Yeah, they do the Dynamo. They got a women's team too. The Dash. I don't know what they're doing with Dynamo and Dash there, but. All right. Yeah, you would think that would make more sense with Dallas. The Dallas True. Dynamo. The Dallas You ready Dash. for this, Jared? What am I doing? John Gruden resigned as the head coach of the Raiders yesterday. 
uh, amid a release of emails in which he was homophobic, misogynistic, racist. Uh, yeah, not a good look for John Gruden. He resigned because of it. But I do want to talk a little bit about a DeMaurice Smith uh, Twitter thread. So Smith tweeted out eh, three or four tweets. Here's some of the things he had to say. The email from John Gruden and some of the reaction to it confirms that the fight against racism, racist tropes, and intolerance is not over. This is not about an email as much as it is about a pervasive belief by some that people who look like me can be treated as less. So this ties into sort of what we said about there being 650,000 emails. And John Gruden's are the only ones that have been leaked right. to the public so far. And like Charles McDonald, who just joined us, said, there almost has to be oh. other stuff. There almost too has many to them. be other yes. people that are going to be implicated in a similar way as John Gruden. And that's sort of what Smith is saying. Because this goes... The, the problem here isn't so much that John Gruden is sending emails to his friends. The problem here is that John Gruden was a leader was a significant face of the NFL. He was a leader of an entire organization. And this is how he viewed people. This is how he viewed people that were gay, people that were black people or women. I mean, that were going to be yes. referees, right? This is how he viewed him. And he was essentially in charge of one of the organizations, of the NFL one. He was one of the most important people in the NFL. And this is how he viewed things. And it's probably fair to assume because we've got Bruce Allen, who's on the other end of this, who isn't with Washington anymore, but was there are lots of other people in the NFL that are viewing this the same yes. way. And yes. the big issue is these are people in charge. Yeah. These are people with power. These are people with superiority over others that view other people this way. And it's almost, it's going to be impossible to have significant well, progress when that's the case. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. We have not heard, seen any of the reply to all from Bruce Allen. Uh, no, because and I'd love to see if right. you think that he took every one of those emails and didn't hit reply. Right. Well, I mean, he doesn't work. I get he doesn't work for the yes. team anymore, but at the time he was. Yeah. And we didn't see any of his replies. I'd like to see his replies. Yeah. What we know that Bruce Allen sent was the picture of the topless cheerleader. That's the that Gruden shared. No, Gruden just received. That. Okay. OK, he received that email. So that was sent to him. That was just part of their conversations, I guess. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's the only, that as far as right now, that's the only email we know that's actually outgoing from Washington and incoming to, to Gruden. John Gruden. But it's, it's, you have Bruce Allen here talking to John Gruden and it's, it's just a matter of, okay, how widespread is this throughout the league and how big of a problem is it when you have the people in charge, the people in power that are thinking this way and doing this way, this and, isn't and like, like this isn't like even just a player. Like players are important too, and obviously you don't want your players. Some more than this. others, right? But like if if it's a player, that guy can be cut. There's not he doesn't have as much power over the organization and power over other people like the head coach does, like a general manager, or like a front office executive, or an owner right. would. And that to me is is sort of that's the bigger issue the NFL now is going to have to deal with. We've talked about the NFL leaking these and getting John Gruden fired or trying to get him fired and all this. The NFL though now like they might have opened up something that's going to be a massive problem well, for them because again, this is probably not the only person that's going to be implicated in all this. Was it more than being pissed off at John Gruden or was it more again, how does leaking the emails come back to the cliche of protecting the shield? 
protecting Roger Goodell at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, you call Roger Goodell a, a gay Because that's all he and, talks about. Yeah. Is protecting I mean, the shield. Protect the shield. Yeah. There were pretty significant insults lobbed at Roger Goodell by these emails. So if you're talking about protecting the NFL, you're talking about protecting Roger Goodell in this instance because, hey, this coach was running around just bad-mouthing me to everybody, so let's get him the hell out of here. Right. You're not going to call me that and keep working. This definitely feels like if there's one of these emails reveals Dan Schneider or some of the owners interacting in a way that is even not even worse, like it as yeah horrible yes, as bad. This puts a, a public meat shield of like we got rid of John Gruden. He was the main, you know, John Gruden's gone. Bruce Allen's gone. So you know we're trying to clean this up without the like. Okay, well Dan Schneider and Jerry Jones were on a you know, a group chat and the words used here some are, are like light compared yeah. to what, what they would call certain people. What are the odds we get? I uh, look 650,000 emails, is a lot of emails, even for investigative reporters. I mean, that, that would take a long, long time. But now that they got Gruden out, I guess what are the odds we read any more of these? That's the thing. We don't, there's not really, this is not like the New York times can open records. Though. Right. It's, this isn't, yeah, this isn't like a public no. records request. This is, this is somebody leaked it. Like somebody wanted to put that out there. So it's not even like, we're not even guaranteed to see the rest of it. So like no. Jared said, there's a chance that this is just a scapegoat situation where they might have plenty of stuff. They might have stuff that's, that's horrible for Dan Snyder or whoever, some other owner or some other coach or some other GM. And it just never sees the light of day. And it's just, yep, John Gruden, that was the issue. John was Gruden's the guy. out and we got rid of him. We're good to go. Even though, and again, that goes back to the bigger problem of, how many people in the NFL in a position of power think like John Gruden does? Have those well, same thoughts. I'm sorry, and might get in trouble for this, but he's not the only one. He can't be. It's, he can't be. He cannot he's, be. He's not, a, he's not the lone wolf in this thing. And sorry. that's your problem. When you have a league that is full of black players, when you have a yeah. league where Carl Nassib was not comfortable coming out until, what? what is he, in his fifth year, sixth right. year in the NFL, whatever it is, like you have a league of players, right? You have a league beyond the players of people that work for these organizations. When you're trying to be diverse, when you have diverse employees and these are the people in charge, that's, that's a nightmare for an organization. That's a nightmare for the people working for that organization to have somebody like John Gruden in charge. And more than likely there's other people like that in charge. And that's where the bigger issue is. The people in power that hold these views. And that's the thing. And Ed, you hit on it a little bit. It's not, it's, Holding the views is one thing, but having the comfort, like being comfortable enough to just bandy this about between like two people who are so high in the power structure that they're just like, what are they going to do? This is this right. is this is who I am. I'm on the top of this. And that's that's the part that's like, oh, good God. Yeah. Top of the food chain. Yeah, because Gruden was smart enough to not say these things like in a press conference. Gruden, well, I'd Gruden like to gave... go back. I'd like to go back and I might today. We both could. I'd like to see his comments about Carl Nassib because yeah, they said, were completely supportive. That, yeah. Everyone in that organization Absolutely. was 100% supportive of him. Absolutely. He was, uh, he was supportive. So sure. If I remember correctly, something about like what makes a man is not yes. whatever. It was something along yes. those lines about the, the character of a man is not determined by whatever the hell he said. I can't remember. I don't want to completely No, but you're down the, you are down the right road. It was something about the character of a man. Right. And so completely supportive. Like John Gruden wasn't an idiot to say these things. No. Publicly, he's well, he's an idiot to put him in an email, but so that's sort of again, he's not going to say it publicly, he's willing to say it in an email. 
how did he actually handle people in private, right? Like that that's where this becomes a big What do you think of him in private? Right. And how did you know handle people in private? How does it end up treating people, whether it's overt or not? That's where this issue comes in. Yeah. And that's why it's a big deal that it's John Gruden that did this and not just whatever. Like if you just if you just found out somebody in accounting had these emails. I mean, obviously that person's gone, but it's... Nobody even knows it. Right. It's not really a massive issue, but when it's the most important or second most important person in this organization, that becomes a big deal. And when we're talking about there's 650,000 emails that the NFL has to look through, you start to wonder, okay, what what else is there? How big of a deal is this in the NFL? And to go back to DeMora Smith and his quotes, basically him saying that the intolerance is not over and it's basically him oh, saying that there that's are absolutely true yeah comments by some with powerful platforms to yeah. explain this away is is not what we need in the nfl because again we've had that email comes out and we had people that were ready to go to bat and defend john Gruden. tony dungy did it on sunday night football yeah. and now it comes out a few days later that it's much worse than that one email and it's like yeah people were willing to defend what john gruden had to say because, oh, it wasn't that bad, and maybe he just meant it was rubber lips, and he was lying and all that. God, that the rubber lips thing is now, in, well, in it's retrospect. Just, it's, it's laughable. Yeah, but it's, it's also laughable. just like, bleep you, man. Yeah, it's like, laughable. Come, like, ugh. Uh, good on Willie Ramirez, he found it. What makes a man different makes him great. That was the quote that John Gruden attributed <laughs> to Carl Nassib when he came out as gay and the first active NFL player to do so. Yeah, so... He wouldn't say anything publicly, but that's apparently not what he was actually thinking uh, about Carl Nassib at the time. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into Bischoff's briefs. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Bischoff's briefs. We, we take a lot of pride in being very analytical here. Um, we use a lot of statistical data, tendencies. Bischoff's brief. Got a lot of respect for the percentages of blitz on second and one to six, third and five to ten. Bischoff's briefs. We take analytics as far as we can, but at the end of the day, there's still a lot of human error that I can continually make. Bischoff's briefs. I don't believe any of those statistics. I think it's all hot Bischoff's briefs today is here to tell you that Dusty Baker has finally done it. He has made a smart decision. That's what today is. Yep. He's right. going to, I didn't know what Bischoff's briefs was going to be today. He's going to pitch his best pitcher in game four. Okay. As opposed to saving him for game five. And I today am here to tell you that fans are stupid. <laughs> I thought it was going to be about Dusty Baker. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> so the Astros are going to pitch Lance McCullers today, who is their best pitcher who pitched game one of this series. And they're able to pitch him on full rest because game three or game four got rained out yesterday. And it's being played a day later today. For some reason, Astros fans on Twitter were upset that the Astros were not going to save Lance McCullers for game five. Why do or die? And you have to have your best guys at the reasoning. Is that the thinking? That's their thought process is that, well, if the Astros lose today, who's pitching game game five, it's got to be Lance McCullers. Now, first off, that is stupid because uh, win game four and there is no game five. Hello. Uh, But also the thought process there is that 
if you're mad that Lance McCullers is pitching today, that means you have no confidence that he can win, that the Astros can win with Lance McCullers today, but you do have confidence that the only way they can win on Friday or on in game five is with Lance McCullers. That doesn't make any sense together. Here's the decision the Astros had to make either start their fourth best pitcher today. And then if there is a game five, start their best pitcher in game five or start their best pitcher today. And if there's a game five, second best. start their second best pitcher. Full rest. So would you rather pitch your number one and number two or your number four and number one? That's a no brainer. It's not even close. And beyond just the simple starting pitcher decision, the other reason it's smart is it sets the Astros up to take the maximum advantage of their pitching staff in these last two games. Because had they saved Lance McCullers for game five and pitched Jose Urquidy today, who would be their number four starter, they'd be, they'd be, they wouldn't be maximizing it. But because they're pitching McCullers today, they can start McCullers. And if Lance McCullers sucks for whatever reason, they can pull him quickly and go to Jose Urquidy, who would have started today. And because the Astros bullpen is not good, They've got three guys at the back end that are solid. They've got one really good closer and two other guys. So basically the goal for the Astros is to get through six innings. McCullers and Urquidy should be able to do that. If they had started Urquidy today and he got knocked out in the second inning or something, then they would have had to use their middle relief, which is the worst part of the team. And they're probably getting blown out, right? That's what happened in the last game. They had to go to their middle relief and they got blown out. So because of this, they can pitch McCullers. Best case scenario, he goes seven innings, doesn't give up a run, but... If he gets knocked out in the second or the third, they can go to Jose Urquidy, who's better than any of their middle relievers, and he can get you, hopefully, through six innings, and then you can go to the three good arms you have in the bullpen. And then in game five, start the number two guy. By then, Zach Greinke should be good to go. And if Framber Valdez gets knocked out in game five, Zach Greinke can come in and get you to the actual good arms in the bullpen. It's an, To me, it was an obvious decision, but apparently it wasn't to some of the Astros fans. Dusty Baker made a good choice. Very proud of him. So you're happy. Very happy. Also very happy that he called out Ryan Tapera for saying, I don't know who he is. Did you see that? No. Okay. So Ryan Tapera, White Sox reliever. He's the one that called out the Astros saying they've been doing some sketchy stuff at Minute Maid Park or whatever. Uh, Dusty Baker said he can say what he wants to say. I had never even heard his name before we played the White Sox. I'm not bothered by it. Dusty with the advanced scout. (laughs) Who? Who's that guy? I also I did also enjoy him going. I mean that's kind of weird because they actually right, okay. they play better at home than we do. And then he like actually went like according to OPS like right? like he like went right? more advanced stats than I thought. Dusty, Dusty Baker. would, would yeah. want to do. So the White Sox this year are I think they had the sixth best OPS in all of baseball at home this year. Sixteenth on the road. Uh, the Astros I think were fifth best OPS at home and first on the road. Best best hitting team on the road. The Astros actually scored more runs per game on the road this year than they did at home. The White Sox scored about a uh, half run less at home at, on the road than they did at home. If there's any team that's got a significant difference as to where they play at home versus the road, it's the White Sox. The other part of accusing the Astros of stealing signs in this series, you remember this stat from game one, Lance Lynn threw 76 yes. pitches, All 74 fast were fastballs. Yes. You don't need to steal the right. signs when the guy throws well, fastballs every time. And correct me if I'm wrong, you should have picked up on it after the first like 30. <laughs> that ball doesn't have a whole lot of movement. Exactly. <laughs> Guys, this you know how players go back to the dugout and they say this is what I saw, or they're actually telling the guy on deck this is what I saw. Fastball. Yeah. Like right. they don't they, don't worry about the signs. He's he throwing goes, fastball. He goes up and down, <laughs> left and right. 
but it's pretty much it's straight. Yeah. Like Lance Lynn, throw, he throws different types of fastballs. Like he throws a four seamer, two seamer, and a cutter. So there's like a little bit of movement, but they all come in within like the same two or three miles an hour of each other. And that was all of his pitches. Like that Lance Lynn was the one pitcher in baseball this year that stealing signs would absolutely not have helped against. <laughs> it would not, because that wasn't even an outlier. Like he threw 97%. Over the season, 94% of his pitches were fastballs. The guy just only pumps in fastballs. So, yeah, get out of here, Ryan Tapera. Can I uh, interject on Bischoff's briefs? Yeah. Kyrie Irving, according to the Nets, will be paid for only home games. So he could do nothing this year and still walk away with $16 million. Wait, wait, he's going to get paid for home home games? games, Yes. Even though he can't play in home games? Home games. But he can play on the road. So he can do nothing. And he won't get paid. Yeah, he can do mm-hmm. nothing and still get $16 million. That's the job I want. <laughs> you just do nothing, and someone pays you $16 million. As much as everyone dumps on Kyrie Irving, and we have today too, we're not as good as our jobs as Kyrie Irving is. No, is. No. So you know, we have jobs, but we're certainly not as good as them. But we are also way more interested in doing our jobs. Well, that's true. That's that a, we that's, are worse at. But that's not important, Jared. Being really good at it is what's important. And unfortunately, neither one of us is the Kyrie Irving no. of sports talk radio in the morning. Sixteen million dollars. Yeah. So yeah, the idea. Great work. The idea that Kyrie Irving is going to miss some game checks and that could be motivation for him to not no. uh, to get the vaccine and come back. Um, that The way you phrased it makes it sound like, well, there's no way in hell he's getting the vaccine. No, they said, and they actually used those words for the first time. They said he'll be paid for home games, not for road, until he is vaccinated, fully vaccinated. Well, then just write the guy the check for $16 million and move on with your season. Hey, we might see you next year. We'll see Man. if anything Can, changes by then. I mean, at this point, could you trade him to, like, I don't know, the Mavs? I'm trying to think of a state. <laughs> Orlando, you know, like the Florida, he could he could play. Trade him to Texas. <laughs> All right, coming up next, we'll jump back into the Golden Knights as their season opener is tonight. Swinging a high drive in the left center field. Way back there. Still going on its way. Adios, Pelota. The 1-0 pitch. Fastball. There's a shot. Deep left center. Duggar's back. Still going back. He's over it now. He makes the catch on the warning track. And that may have been the final windblown ball of the night. And a fly ball. Center field. Racing on back is Duggar. And he will make the catch on the warning track in front of the wall. And the game is over. You're sitting in the press box with Granny and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Oh, sounded like it was close. It was gone till the wind got it. We've got a pair of tickets to Las Vegas Concours Delegance, one of the top 10 classic car shows in the world. Saturday, October 23rd out at Las Vegas ballpark. We got a pair of tickets for you and we will take caller number three at 702-364-1100. That is 702-364-1100. If you want a pair of tickets to go to Las Vegas, Concours d'Elegance, a classic car event coming to Las Vegas ballpark. Again, caller number three at 702-364-1100. Now, Golden Knights and Kraken tonight. You know what's a lot of fun? Preseason predictions in hockey. So the Golden Knights this year. So I'm looking at Dom Lushizen of The Athletic, who does. He's got his predictions every year of how good teams are going to be. And here's what we got for the Golden Knights. They have 
a 9% chance to win the Stanley Cup. That is third best behind Colorado and Toronto. Uh, they're and actually, Toronto? Yeah, they're actually slightly ahead of Tampa Bay uh, for the third spot. The Golden Knights also, uh, maybe in the bigger picture or the smaller picture, have a 94% chance to simply make the playoffs. <laughs> so there is a 6% so chance. So low? Yeah, which by I the way. It's, I can't believe it's so low. Feels high, doesn't it? Six percent chance they don't make the playoffs. D- that's what I'm saying. Oh, excuse me. Oh, I'm I'm saying it reverse. But yes, yeah. I thought it would be like I don't know, ninety nine. I guess there's a six percent chance that Robin Leonard, Mark Stone, Alex Petrangelo all get hurt and their season is or over. All stink. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess seems a little high. Um, but Colorado, by the way, a ninety nine percent chance to make the playoffs. But what's Colorado making winning the cup? Uh, twenty three. Massive number, by the way. That is a huge number. It's just like. It's it, so a lot of it's based on the last uh, couple of years of right. play and the avalanche have been so overwhelming the last two years in terms of the advanced stats, like their numbers are unbelievably good. And that's what most of this is based off of the avalanche were massive favorites last year by this as well. So that's, that's why Toronto kind of in the same ballpark. Um, but if we look just at the division, here's the projected order of finish in the Pacific uh, golden Knights, one 94% chance to make the playoffs. Edmonton Oilers, two, 88% chance to make the playoffs. Coming in at third, the Seattle Kraken with a 73% chance to make the playoffs. Okay, I'm surprised. Yeah. They I'm had surprised at that. Kraken, 14% chance to win the division. This sounds crazy, but do you think that it's has anything? It's a real bad division. I was going to say, do you think that has anything to do with what you said earlier about what the Golden Knights did as an expansion team? Like that to me is I, I'm surprised. I am surpri- yeah. I'm surprised at that. I'm surprised yeah. at that because so once you get past Seattle, Calgary's fourth, fifty two percent chance to make the playoffs, and then you get down to Vancouver, twenty six percent, San Jose twenty five, uh, L A sixteen, and Anaheim two. <sighs> so they are again significantly at seventy three percent, significantly ahead of everybody not named Calgary That's in the bottom of this amazing. division. Amazing. We'll see you tonight. Yeah. We well, they got five guys <laughs> in the COVID. True. We might not. They got see. five guys in the COVID list. We might not see anything. It might be six to one nights tonight with all the COVID list guys. We don't know who's playing on the fourth line for the Golden Knights. I, we don't know who's playing yeah. anywhere for the Seattle Kraken. I saw the names that you had out in the Seattle Kraken. I'm like, okay, I can't make it a determination. I don't know where those people are playing. It could <laughs> be the goalie and the backup goalie. They You're might playing be playing nowhere. nowhere. I mean, they they literally probably don't know where they were playing. Exactly. Exactly. They'll learn before the game. So that's what you're looking at as far as odds this season. And now. That to me is the context in which the front office and Pete DeBoer should handle this season. They have a 94% chance to make the playoffs. And because of that, the regular season doesn't matter, right? The regular season is not that important. You're going to make the playoffs. Sure. You want to win the division and get home ice advantage, but even that, it's, they don't need another banner with the president's right. They don't need that. So to me, The Golden Knights objective has to be how can we make sure this team is at its best in the Stanley Cup playoffs? And to me, you do that by experimenting throughout the regular season. We do not need to see Marshall Carlson and Smith play on a line together for 80 games. We don't need to see it. We know they're good. Hell, they could probably not play the entire season, throw them on game one of the playoffs, and they're probably good to go. To me, they need to be experimenting, right? Nolan Patrick, play him as the first line center. Hell, Peyton Krebs, play him as the first line center or as a first line winger or something like that. To me, they should be experimenting a lot to figure out, okay, 
what are our best line combination? What gives us the best depth or what gives us the best top line? And how does that help? What us gives win? us scoring in the playoffs? <laughs> yes. That and the problem is that might uh, take, come until the playoffs to actually figure that out. Yes. But that to me should be the goal of this team because again, the regular season is not going to matter that much, right? It's not going to be a big deal because they're going to, things have to go horribly wrong for them to miss the playoffs entirely. Hell, things got to go pretty wrong for them not to win the division. So use the regular season. It's fine if you put out a worse lineup than what's optimal because you want to see what Peyton Krebs is as a first-line center. To me, that's what they should be doing this entire season because they're going to make the playoffs. Are you concerned at all about Robin Leonard? Not really. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure on that position this year uh, simply because they got rid of Marc-Andre Fleury and the fan base very much did not agree with that. Um, So Leonard, he's got to be good in that regard. Uh, but worried about it? No. I mean, he's been he, he's been a phenomenal goalie for three plus year, four years now. If you look at his numbers, he's top five, I think, in most uh, goalie stats over the last four years. So there's not too much. Where I, I don't think it's too big of a concern. I think he's going to be he's going to be a good goalie. I, is he going to have? It's a goalie's it's a long season. He's going to have moments where he's not very good. Right. right? There's going to be. I mean, hell, tonight he gives up four, and all of a sudden it's. Kind of hope that happens, by the way. Kind of hope he gives up four tonight. It's like, oh my God, Can they you got imagine rid of the response. Oh, here's the thing. Quick question. I know we're going to go to break early. Quick question. He gives up four tonight. When do the boos come out? The, after the third goal, or do or do you think they? Come I don't out? think there'll be boos in the stadium in the arena I, ever this whole year. Well, okay, there were they got booed last year on the power play, right, so right. certainly it will. Ah, uh, I don't. Not in game one. I mean, if we get into a while and, and Robin Leonard's like skating out there like with an eight seven five right. save percentage, but like if he gives up four tonight, I don't think there's booze because oh, there's they got even, flurry on their minds. Even though. though a lot of it manifests as as people not liking Robin Leonard, people still don't necessarily dislike Robin Leonard. No, they just there's miss no reason flurry. To. Yeah, it's just pro flurry. And so if you start booing, I think people have got to take the leap of oh, I don't like Leonard and I'm booing him, and I don't think they're there yet. Now. If we're 20 games in and Leonard's been awful, maybe yes. it might happen. It might happen. But it maybe if they could boo directly into George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon's box, they would do that. But I Those don't think guys they, wouldn't hear. They'd be, both be on the phone. That's true. I don't think they'll boo Robin Leonard tonight anyways. Maybe 20 games in. But I don't think they'll boo him tonight for giving up goals. All right. Coming up next, Tashawn Reed joins the show. Want to be part of the show? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. Brian, I was wondering if you could uh, uh, expand upon what you were saying earlier. They struck out 16 times in the previous two games, but then 16 times tonight. Do you think something else is going on still, or is that just like a hunch given the past? Yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is. They've obviously had a reputation of you know, doing some sketchy stuff over there. And, you know, it's just, uh, we can say that it's a, a little bit of a difference. You know, I think you saw the swings and misses tonight compared to, uh, you know, the first two games of Minimate. But that's not really the story, you know. We come here to play, you know, we're going to compete. We're not even going to worry about what they're going to do. All we have to do is execute pitches and they can't hit them anyways. You're locked in the press box. Joining us now is Tashawn Reed from The Athletic. Uh, Tashawn, I, I do want to start with the the Mark Davis side of this John Gruden story because 
The Raiders put out their statement last Friday about they were, you know, reviewing the email, the first email that was public from John Gruden, and that they had other materials. We have now seen those other materials, and it led to John Gruden resigning. Um, what do you make of Mark Davis not firing, or at least making Gruden resign immediately upon seeing those emails? It was a huge mistake. I mean, you know, not only did they uh, not do that, but the the story came out after. Uh, Gruden spoke for the day Friday, um, and, and given that they were made aware of the story the day before, uh, just not addressing it then uh, was mistake number one, allowing him to coach was mistake number two. And then uh, after the game, I mean, you know, he, he really didn't want to address it. You know, he, he t- called a few media members or, or received calls from a few media members and talked to people over the weekend, and he, and he felt like that was enough. Uh, you know, and meanwhile, you know, Mark Davis outside of the statement that he put out Friday was, was pretty quiet throughout all of it. And, um, obviously, uh, you know, Monday, you know, after that, those emails became public, uh, it put them in a situation where they had no choice um, but to make sure that he was not the coach moving forward. And, um, you know, overall, I, th- I think it was a pretty, you know, weak approach by Mark Davis. Uh, you know, for one, letting Gruden design um, and then sort of allowing him to take the high road after this instead of, you know, making a statement and firing him. Um, you know, even when it comes to the, the financial ramifications of firing a coach in this situation, it would have been for cause or, or either, you know, going with the morality cause and they would have got out of the money. And so, uh, you know, given how they, they botched it up to that point, you know, you could, you could really turn it around for yourself if you make a statement and, and fire him outright. And in the statement um, in response uh, yesterday, you know, basically just saying that you accept his resignation no sort of apology or taking accountability for, for what happened. Uh, you know, I think he, he pretty much mismanaged, mismanaged it all around. On the player side of this, uh, none of them have really said anything. I guess Yannick Ngakwe kind of gave a no comment that implied he wasn't exactly thrilled with what had gone on. Do you think we'll get anything player-wise? Like, will any of them say anything significant uh, out or, or against John Gruden after this? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, it's, you know, obviously the last two years, um, and even before this, you know, we haven't had locker room access, um, which is where you get a lot of those more uh, transparent comments, I would say. And when you guys got guys coming up on the podium uh, in front of a bunch of cameras and a bunch of reporters at the same time, and it's being live streamed, and they got the, the PR people off to the side staring at them as they speak, uh, you know, it puts a lot of pressure on those guys. And they shouldn't even be held accountable for this sort of thing anyway, because it's not their fault. They didn't do it. They didn't make those remarks. Um, but, you know, this puts them in a tough predicament when it comes to that. Uh, I'm not saying that that will completely uh, prevent somebody from popping off and saying something. Uh, but, I mean, the Raiders have a roster. There's uh, you know, a bunch of younger guys, a bunch of guys in the rookie contract that haven't got paid yet, or a bunch of veterans on one-year deals or, or short-term deals. And they want to fly off. It's risky for them to fly off the ledge and say something, uh, you know, emotional in that setting that could potentially cost them down the line in terms of their own career. And so, uh, it was really hard. It has been all of this to put much of the onus on the players. I'm curious your thoughts on like league wide here, because you have a situation where John Gruden is the second most important person in this organization or was the second most important, had a ton of power over this organization. And obviously through his emails, there's homophobia, there's misogynistic, there's racism in these emails. I'm curious league wide here, like how big of a deal do you think this is for the NFL where they have people that are as powerful as John Gruden that share the same thoughts that John Gruden had in those emails? So I think it's just saying the quiet part out loud. You know, I don't think it, it, it shocks anybody that there are people like that, you know, in very high power decisions in the league, whether that's, 
kind of the franchises or, or the league itself. Um, just because of the nature of the power structure, it's, it's typically run by uh, white men, and uh, you know those sort of ideologies happen to be uh, more frequent among that group. And so, uh, I don't think it shocks anybody. Uh, but I think the league-wide reaction from this um, should be that this probably is the end of it. Um, you know, this is all stemming from an investigation into the Washington football team and workplace misconduct, and uh, you know, really what, what ended up getting good and exposed was. Uh, sending those emails to Bruce Allen, the former Washington executive. And, um, you know, from the sounds of it, it sounds like Gruden wasn't the only coach uh, who was very chummy with Bruce Allen and probably not the only uh, coach or executive or, or individual within the league that probably made some comments that he, that he shouldn't have. And so, um, you, you know, when it, when it comes to the league-wide reaction and league-wide fallout, uh, my, my gut tells me that Gruden probably won't be the only person caught in all of this. Back on the Mark Davis side, like, what do you think he should do now? Like, what would be the right course of action for Mark Davis to, not that you can necessarily make up for it, but that you can sort of, you know, make it look like the Raiders are headed in the right direction and, and can sort of say, hey, we're going to move past this? I think the first thing you have to do is, is address it publicly. I know, like I said, I know he's put out a couple of statements, but in press conference form, where you ask questions, uh, you have to move back and forth, you have to actually and get lengthy responses not just for the media like obviously i'm a media member and that's part of my job but for your fan base out there i mean for, for other figures across the league you know whoever your perspective future head coach will be you have to own this thing you know and i'm not you know and i'm not trying to make it seem like you know it's mark davis's fault that gruden said all these things but you did hire this man you know you are responsible for hiring somebody who had this kind of track record and uh you know he spent years around gruden when he was head coach the first time he obviously was very close with them and you know, whether he knew about it or not, the fact that you didn't find out about these emails before hiring him and giving him a hundred million dollar contract and you know, you really haven't done a good job of addressing it since all this come out. I mean, I think it starts there. I don't, I don't really know how you can move forward in terms of salvaging his image and, and, and kind of you know, kind of trying to mend his or, or make his role in his look a little bit better without addressing it. Well he is Tashawn Reed from the Athletic. Deshaun, we appreciate you carving out a few minutes for us. Uh, today. No, it's been a busy uh, last few days for you. Thank you, Tashawn. No problem. Thanks for having me. So there's Tashawn Reed from The Athletic. Uh, so yeah. Uh, by the way, for those of you that didn't notice, I probably should have said this at the start of the segment. Ed's not here. Um, Ed had to go out. He had to do a review journal meeting for something. So Ed had to leave a little bit early. Ed did not just randomly sit out the interview with Tashawn. Although that would have been funny if you were like, why does Ed hate Tashawn? Yeah, <laughs> but uh, do want to mention congratulations to Brent. Uh, Brent won the pair of tickets to go to the Concours d'Elegance out at Las Vegas ballpark. Jared, you're giving me a look like I need to say we have more to give away tomorrow. Yeah, there we go. We got more to give away tomorrow if you want to go out to Las Vegas ballpark for the Concours d'Elegance coming up. Now, one in the show on the Golden Knights and the Seattle Kraken. Because this is, I will say, the NHL, I still find it dumb that they don't give expansion teams their first ever game at home. They did the same thing to the Golden Knights. I don't know. I just find that dumb. But very excited that we get expansion team versus expansion team in the first game of the season. The two youngest teams in the league. Because we get the immediate comparison. The immediate comparison as to where these two franchises are and can the Seattle Kraken do what the Golden Knights did. There was a quote yesterday by Riley Smith, who uh, he said that going back to year one, he was happy they won the first game of the year because it just meant they weren't going 0-82. 
so that's fun. Seattle Kraken might be in that same situation tonight, although people think they might actually be good. But I do think tonight the Golden Knights are going to roll. They've been terrible in the preseason. Preseason's irrelevant. They're playing a team that doesn't have like five guys because of COVID protocol. And granted, the Golden Knights don't have like five guys either, but they're all bottom six guys in the lineup. Like, And it's can... mostly because of salary cap and they <laughs> needed to send them down to save like $14. Not this year. They're good right now. They're good with the salary cap. We don't have any crazy lineups because of the salary cap. I, at some point, I'm sure we'll get there. They're going to have to. That'll be fun. They're going to have to find a way to get Alex Tuck and his $4.75 million back under the cap when he comes off which will be a ton of fun to see what they do because you, you can do that thing where you accrue cap space the entire year by sitting Peyton Krebs down every time there's an off day. That's always fun. I um, mean, you could just do what the Lakers did and just be like, yeah, just take a couple weeks off. <laughs> You're good. You can come back. Yeah. So the, it'll be the regular season doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. So yeah, just bring Alex Tuck back for the, for the playoffs. It should be perfectly fine. But yeah, I think I think the Golden Knights roll tonight. I don't think it'll be too big of an issue. Seattle shouldn't be that good, even if they do make the playoffs. And the Golden Knights should be a Stanley Cup contender. It's where this team is. It's where they've been pretty much since year one. Win the Stanley Cup or it's a failure of a season. If you don't win it, yeah, it's a tough year. And like Riley Smith said, it's a contract year for everybody. Get the hell out of here until you actually win the Stanley Cup.